Hi, I'm Wes, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Wes Wonders podcast. Today is Wednesday, the 22nd of May, 2013, and today I'm joined by Steve Miller, um, or the Chi Ranger from Chi Ranger Adventures. And in today's episode, we talk about the ethics behind putting a donate button on your website or asking people for money while you're traveling and also Air India and a couple of um, faux pas that they've had in the last few weeks. So without further ado, the Wes Wonders podcast. Hey, this is Wes, um, and you're joining us for another episode of the Wes Wonders podcast. And today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, uh, Steve Miller from Chi Ranger. How you going, Steve? Good evening. I'm doing good. How are you doing tonight? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty good. A bit tired, but good. bit tired? (laughs) How can you be tired? Big day. It's the weekend. Yes, and I'm very glad for it. No, no greetings and salutations. Okay, uh, greetings and salutations, my excellent friends. Ah, I love it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So for anyone that hasn't um, heard Steve before, he runs his own podcast, and that's his intro every time. How is your podcast going, Steve? It's good. Uh, For... Geez, what, a year and a half I had the weekly podcast going, and then as I started doing more radio broadcasts here in Seoul, I decided to take a short break from that. But um, with a lot of the news that was happening here in Korea and other countries around East Asia, I got a lot of requests to bring it back. So uh, about a month, month and a half ago, I decided to relaunch the podcast in a slightly different format. And it's continuing to blossom, and I have a great, great time putting together the news stories and sharing the travel experiences I have here in Korea with not only my domestic Korean audience, but my worldwide audience as well. That's good to hear. And it's always fun to put a podcast together. It is, and it's a blast. Yeah. So, um, how, is, how is this podcast growing for you? Um, yeah, I think it's going pretty well. Um, I'm getting, uh, you know, different co-hosts on the show, which is good. Um, a few people that we both know. Um, Mm -hmm. so I've had Mike TSO and do you know Jeremy Jones? Well, yeah, you've had Mike on a few times. Yeah, he's been on twice. And, um, I think Kaylin, Kaylin O'Neill's been on twice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, trying to... Trying to get a few more co-hosts, and I think um, I think I'm going to try and get some of them in a few weeks because they're all heading to Tbex soon. Oh yes, yeah. Is that think, the Toronto Tbex? Um, yes, it is. Or is that the okay? Um, I think the Dublin one's in October. Yeah. So as far as I know, they're all going. So it'd be good of to course. catch up with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, all the all the so good stuff on that side so of the world. Those people on that side of the world. I know. <laughs> I think I was complaining about it um, a few podcasts ago. How they never have anything on this side. 
Well, you could change that, fine, sir. You could change that. It's true. Start my own uh, travel bloggers conference. Because <laughs> I, well, I, I mean, I mean, you and I are both part of of TBS over on on Facebook. Yeah, and there's been a large number of new additions to the group that have been from Australia and New Zealand that have been making their way into the group. So I'm sure you could entice those individuals to maybe work with you to create a TBEX-ish type conference down in Australia and then cultivate the Australasian uh, uh, pool of writers to come down there. I could definitely give it a go. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work with no free time that I have. <laughs> that could possibly be so. Yeah. I've put together a few conferences in the past. <laughs> And how'd they go for you? They were great successes. I mean, it was a lot of fun. You learn a lot about logistics, a lot about planning. You get to meet a lot of really interesting individuals on the presenting side of things, but also from the attendee side of thing. But leading up to the conference, you literally have no free time. And then during the conference, you have no idea what sleep is. (laughs) And then you just crash once the conference is over. And then you vow never to do it again, and then about a week later you say, okay, let's start planning next year. <laughs> I like it. Sounds like something I would like to do. <laughs> it was great. I mean, I have very fond memories of the two conferences I've put on. Yeah. So was that um, South Korea-based? or? No, that actually was, was back in the late 90s uh, when I was uh, working for a distance learning division of Northern Arizona University, I helped put on their first two distance learning conferences. So I had people coming in from all around the world to present different topics on the pedagogical needs of distributed learning at the birth of the internet. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, So what have you been up to lately? And, um, you know, Tell us about your, your radio stuff and your TV stuff. I've seen you on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, late last year, I was uh, – well, here in Korea, there's a number of English language programs that are on a number of different networks. So for the past almost two years, I've been invited on TBS EFM, which is the largest English language radio station in Seoul – to contribute to their uh, travel portion of the program. And I've, I've changed shows, and now I'm on a show that airs from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. every morning. And the original premise was for me to come in during the weekend and do a half-hour segment on a travel destination in Seoul, and or not in Seoul, but uh, somewhere else in Korea, domestic travel in Korea, anywhere but Seoul. And it was a great conversation. Uh, Travis is a, a fantastic host, and we would sit back and, and chat. A lot of times we would have really weird tangents because we're both from the U.S., and we'd talk about something about some small town in Korea, and it would jog a memory of our time back in the United States. And a lot of times we'd all of a sudden, oh, you know, it's time to go to a song break, and we have even really talked about the town yet so in i want to say march they had uh, a season change and 
they they changed my segment. And this was actually really cool. So the original portion was called Korea Excursions. And then they changed it to be my own segment. Uh, instead of being a half hour with a host, it's five minutes Monday through Friday. And I got to choose the theme song. I get to choose all the destinations. I get to run the show. So once a week I go in with the producer and we sit down for about a half hour and I go through Monday through Friday segments and then we discuss uh, next week and then move on from there. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. That, that's been going on since March or so. And, and that's the portion of uh, my podcast that is the travel section, so for the audience who can't listen to the radio. And then the other radio station on is Arirang, and for the past year, they've had, well, every day they have a program called Catch the Wave that's on 6 to 8 p.m. Korean time, and that's K-pop, K-culture, that kind of fun, lively show. And they used to have a segment called I Heart Korea or Power Blogger, and I was invited to come in once a month to talk about what I was doing in Korea. And this April, they had a season change. And they got rid of that segment, and they created a new segment. So now Monday evenings from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Korean time, I'm live. Another guest, us chooses a video about Korea. I get to choose one of my videos, and Karen Choi, who's the other guest, chooses another video about Korean culture. And for 30 minutes, we talk about my video, and 30 minutes, we talk about her video. And what's really cool, since it's live, since we have a worldwide audience, we get a lot of feedback through Twitter, through Facebook, through the message boards, so we can communicate directly with the listeners at the same time. So it's a lot of fun. And you know, every now and then, Arirang asks me to, to do some things for their morning show, which is a great opportunity to be in front of 300 million people live around the world, but it's really early. <laughs> <laughs> and um, didn't you do some weather reports? Was it weather reports that you were doing? It, was, it wasn't so much weather reports. The, 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 the way that the TV show worked was the, they, they've, they've, gone, they've also gone under a, a season change as well, but the, for the live broadcast, there were three connections, and the first connection was the conditions outside, so basically where I was that day and what it was like outside, and it was in the middle of winter, so it was minus 20 degrees <laughs> outside every single day, so I got to say, hey, I'm here in blah, 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 Seoul, and it's minus 20, and it's really, really cold, so dress warm, and then the other two connections were were uh, about wherever the destination we were. And, and one of the days, we were uh, smelt fishing, doing live ice smelt fishing. Uh, and it was minus 21, 22 degrees, something, something really <laughs> just frigid. And nothing worked that day. During, during the opening connection, all the mics froze. During the second connection, the uh, HD uh, transmitter for the backpack froze. During the third connection, it froze, and then as they were going back to the studio, it finally came back again, and then they didn't tell me I was back, so I'm just sitting there on the chair waiting for the signal to go, and apparently I was already on air. It was actually quite funny. It was one of those like really good blooper moments um, that you know all the technology didn't go right when it was supposed to because it was so cold. <laughs> That's awesome. Might have to uh, check out that video, just to have a bit of a laugh at you. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was actually a lot of fun. Um, it was it was a good experience, and I really enjoy that those opportunities. So between that and between uh, working with the Ministry of Sports, Culture, and Tourism on the official Korean blog, uh, and and my own content, I, I keep uh, pretty busy when I'm not uh, teaching full time as a university professor. You sound like you're doing way too much. <laughs> but I'm having a great time, and that's that's the the, the kick of it. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And you just came back from the Philippines as well? Yeah. Uh, when Actually, when I was on vacation in the Philippines this past winter, the Philippine Department of Tourism here in Korea uh, contacted me and asked if I would be interested in working with them on a special blog and YouTube project for several of their destinations in and around the Philippines. So uh, my wife and I went on one of the press trips and went down to Davao in the Mindanao region, and then, of course, to one of my favorite places, Boracay. Nice. And why is that your favorite, would you say? Uh, well, I, I say Boracay is my favorite, and a lot of people like to gripe because it's too touristy for them. But for me, that's one of the things I really do like about it is you can still find really cheap accommodations. Like The resort we stay at during... Off season is twenty five dollars a night, twenty five US a night, and during peak season it's fifty dollars a night, and that's a queen bed, a twin bed, refrigerator, television, aircon, free breakfast, unlimited coffee, tea. You know, two minutes from the beach. It's 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 a nice place, and then in terms of Boracay, it's one of the best wind, uh, sorry, kite surfing places on earth. Uh, Virtually any kind of water sport you ever wanted to do is there. They have virtually any kind of cuisine from around the world. And it's sunny, it's beach, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And for me, I like to do a lot of active things. So a lot of places don't have the infrastructure to support a lot of water sports or a lot of motorcycle sports or, or biking, running, hiking, that kind of thing. And Boracay pretty much has it all, and it's cheap. That's awesome. I might, um, yeah. might have to head out there. Highly, highly recommend. And it has one of the best sunsets ever because you can get a nice bever adult beverage, sit on the beach, and watch the sun go down, and it's one of the best experiences you'll have. Yeah, I, I do like doing that. Except, um, you know, I always take my camera with me. <laughs> sunset photos That's and water. That's what tripods are for. Yeah. <laughs> good sit, point. sit back with the remote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Um, and it's only a short flight from Australia, so, you know, might have to look into heading out there. Yeah, and I will say this. Uh, you know, I've been, to, I've been to, I know a lot of Australians go to Bali, and I've been to Bali and, then, and really enjoyed Bali. Uh, for me, I enjoyed the cultural and historical, historical sites a lot more than the beach areas. But uh, from those that I I know that have visited both, the majority prefer Boracay over Bali. So just take that in consideration when you're planning your next holiday. Will do. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> so um, we'll jump to our, um, this story that you found in um, a few of our other travel blogger friends were talking about it. Um, but it's about the 
kind of the ethics around putting a donate button on um, your website. So there's been a few travel bloggers that um, have put a donate button on their website saying, uh, donate to us so we can keep traveling and give you, um, you know, more information about some of the places that we go to. And yeah, there was a big debate about whether it's ethical or, you know, well, yeah. it's called for what it is. It's e-begging. Yeah, yeah, essentially. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I think I think there is. It all comes down to this. I mean, there are people who e-beg, and there are people who do provide a legitimate service, and supporting that through a donate button or, or through some other means is um, a way to sh- show value in the information that they provide. But I think it. I think it all comes down to how you present it, yeah. As well, because like the way that you present it is like you know the way the way that the story was is like you know hey, I'm going to go on this trip, and if you pay for it by donating, I can share all the great information for you, and that's essentially e-begging because I want to go on a trip and I want you to pay for it. Yeah. Versus if if I have an opportunity to create a good product you can help fund that product. So you look at different types of films or, or you look at different ways of uh, collecting funds for that. It all comes down to, is there a value in the end product that you physically don't have the means to make? Yeah. And, well, the story goes on to say that there's a few that are putting it up on Kickstarters or um, Indiegogo, which are, is another Kickstarter type site um and i i guess i can see it from both sides like for the stuff that we do we essentially are providing free information so if people donate that's kind of a way to you know pay us for our services of providing that information i guess but on the other side yeah it it is kind of weird saying hey, send us some money so we can keep on traveling. Well, I think think this goes back to what I mean by, you know, what kind of product you have and how you support it. Because if you're just putting money up for, so we can continue to do blog or whatever, whatever our our content specialty is, you know, is, is that your only source of income? Because if that was, if you're not monetizing the site or, or getting sponsorships to continue your travels, well, how are you funding your travels? If it's all personal savings, then having a donate button on your site might might be a legitimate way to solicit more funds because there's no other income coming in. Versus if your site's heavily monetized, you're sponsored by by company X, Y, and Z, so you get free lodging, you get some free travel, you get some some free clothing, then you're, you're everything's pretty much, you know, set in stone. You know, you 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 have money coming in from different sources. You're just trying to get some extra, and I think that's more of the e begging kind of philosophy that that you know you you shouldn't be soliciting more donations because you have corporate sponsors coming in. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, where is it? It's Because the, the couple that they're talking about, um, when they put it up on Kickstarter, it was something ridiculous. Um, they raised 30% on 
of their target. Oh, so they had a twenty five thousand dollar target. Sorry, I thought they um they raised thirty percent at twenty five. And they did it in six days, which is still a fair effort. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's essentially paying for a year's worth of travel for that couple. Yeah, and, well, here, in, here in Korea, there, there's a, a very popular couple, uh, Simon and Martina, who run eatyourkimchi.com. And they're predominantly known for doing K-pop reviews, K-pop song interviews, and that kind of stuff. And they went full-time, I think, a little over a year ago, and they make big bucks. But because they are no longer teaching in Korea, they needed to secure a business license. So they had to save up a hundred grand, hundred US, hundred thousand US dollars to get a business visa for the <laughs> two of them, and then they had to get their own bigger apartment. So they had outlaid, you know, probably close to two hundred thousand dollars that they had outlaid out of their own pocket. So they put up an Indiegogo project asking for forty thousand dollars for the express purpose of finding an office space. Yeah. So that they so they could invite various K-pop stars to their space to do interviews, which is what their audience wants to see. And so they put up an Indiegogo, and within a month and a half, they got I think almost one hundred and sixteen thousand dollars donated. Very nice, because that was their audience saw the value in what they were doing. Yeah, because they 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 put up. They said they were honest. It's like we we put up almost. Uh, $200,000 of our own money to do this. We're just asking, you know, they have, I think, close to 300,000 subscribers on YouTube. They're like, you know, if, if, if half of you put up 25 cents, we're, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then they did, they were very upfront and people were very good about that. I've also had friends who, who um, saw that and were, were who, who do have a product, but what they were trying to fundraise for wasn't something that, their audience who who knows what their product is would be that interested in contributing for. It was very much a, a personal type of, I would like to get this. Can you help me? And in return from that, I'll give you some of my product. And that didn't fly over well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a gray area, I think with this kind of stuff, because yeah, I mean, it, you don't want it to come across as, yeah, I'm just doing this for personal use, but, you know, I'm trying to continue doing stuff for my fans. Um, but, yeah, there's always that, you know, area where people think that you're just doing it to, um, and I quote, uh, self-indulgent middle-class adventurer. So, like, yeah. people just started slamming them in the comments about doing this kind of stuff on the on the Kickstarter. Well, yeah, I, I think comments like that aren't necessarily unwarranted, but I think it needs to go into what exactly is the money for and what other ways are they trying to raise raise the money. Because I, I have I have friends that are filmmakers and they were able to raise I think close to forty thousand dollars via Kickstarter to fund their film and the what was it I don't want to say the rewards but whatever whatever the, the Kickstarter you know payout is yeah, for goals, whatever you donate yeah. 
goal. No, that's like goals. But you know, if if you donate five dollars, you you get this. Whatever, whatever, whatever. I guess it's reward. Whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that was appropriate. So people, you know, were able to donate for that. But then you have what Zach Braff trying to do the same thing, and he's getting a lot of hate mail because he's loaded, and yeah. <laughs> he's doing Kickstarter because you know he wants to do a movie, but he could easily fund it himself. Yeah. That does make it a tricky situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's not just related to to I would say travel travel bloggers, but you know anyone in, in business trying to solicit money from from outside sources. Yeah, yeah. And there's always going to be someone that thinks you're just doing it to be self indulgent. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, someone else I think replied to some of these comments saying, "Well." No one's holding a gun to your head. You don't have to donate if you don't want to. You just ignore them. Oh, oh, exactly. So, I don't know. I think they just want to comment so they can comment. Maybe. Well, well, I, well, per, per, probably. But now, have you ever thought about you know putting a donate button on on uh, Wes Wanders? Um, I did think about it maybe a year ago. Um, cause I had seen a few sites that did have it. Um, but at the time I wasn't traveling, so I didn't feel comfortable asking people for money so I could travel. If I was already traveling and sending out information or, um, sending out photos, videos of, um, stuff to do and stuff I was doing, I'd feel more comfortable about it. But I think I'd just gotten back and, um, Morally, I couldn't justify going, hey, give me some money so I can travel again. Um, maybe if I start you know, traveling more or doing it full time, I might, but at this stage, no. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's good. I mean, I, I thought about it, you know, I don't know, when, you know, a while back, but because of the different partnerships that I have, that cover a lot, you know, most of the expenses, if not all the expenses of my travels, you know, I didn't think it appropriate for me to say, hey, would you like to donate? Because I have extra income coming in from those sources that, you know, are are asking me to go out to these places and create these stories for them. Yeah. So, so I, I I thought it would be like double dipping and, you know, uh, be very misleading. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that people have got to be careful about, I guess, if they are thinking about doing it. Um, Absolutely. And I think there was one um they started talking about one uh travel blogger in this article. Um and their donate button is uh buy us a beer, which is kind of a cheeky way to ask for donations, but uh, oh yeah, well, I've I've seen like different like my my friends uh, uh, Gary and Carl and and Russ they they had the Three Nine Joggers podcast that was on when I was back in the United States and they yeah. had you know if you'd like to help podcast you know if, if you want to you know not e begging here but you know feel free to throw a few uh, uh, shekels in the virtual swear jar or um, uh, the Soul podcast here. They have, you know, bias the bias of beer, and even, you know, even even like uh, uh, Will Wheaton, who does the uh, radio 
Radio Burrito, yeah. free Radio Burrito, whatever, Radio Burrito podcast, you know, he has a donate button too. And, you know, if you donate to the podcast, uh, they, they mention your name and press for, for that donation. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Well, having said that, if anyone does want to donate to either of us, <laughs> we will mention you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And we're not e-begging. We're not expecting any money. We just like it. <laughs> I, I I love money. Yeah. In fact, one of my one of my stories this month was about keeping your money safe in in Korea. So. Yes, and and how do you keep your money safe in Korea? Is there a... in banks, of course. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, the for for the Korea blog this month, I'm doing stories on implementation of Korean technology in everyday life. So the first story was born out of the March 20th North Korean hack of broadcasters and banks here in Korea. So in I, this may actually be interesting because you're 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 down under yeah. and uh, I'm up here in, in Korea and from the United States. So in the United States I, I heavily used internet banking to facilitate paying of bills, direct deposits, uh you know, online transactions, and it was just a simple password uh, to get into my account. But here in Korea, we actually have to use a security token. So on a USB or on your mobile phone, a special program is installed that is associated with your user ID with your account. And unless you access your bank account with one of these security token programs, you can't get in to, to do anything. So even if someone hacks into the computer and steals passwords, they can't facilitate downloading of, of the money because they don't have the security token. So it's an extra layer of, of technology that is in place. And even yeah. when you do transactions, you have to have a special, it's called a BOAM card, that has all, like on the back of your credit card, where it has like the three or four extra digit numbers. Yeah. Um, so we have a whole card of all these extra numbers. So as we're doing online transactions, you have to have that card with you and fill in uh, all these different numbers that the transaction randomly asks you for. So if, if, even if you have the token, but you don't have the card, you're screwed anyway because you can't complete the, the security challenges. Yeah. So it was just a really interesting way of, of showing how, how a, a technology-advanced country protects the money. Uh, how how's, do you use online banking? Yeah, um, yeah, and I'd say it's the same as the US. Like you just chuck in your password and you're online, and you can just do yeah, pay all your bills from there. So we only have the the one or two lines of security. So that sounds pretty cool, though. It is, it is. Except when it's like, oh, I'm 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 here at this location, and I want to do an online transfer, and I don't have my token with me, so I can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to ask, does it get annoying trying to trying to get around all the or not get around all the systems, but go through all the systems and all the hoops? I, you know, that it 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 was. I I I would say it was difficult the first few times. And like one of the things I can do with it is is transfer money home to the United States because I, I still maintain my U.S. credit cards because of of the high credit limit it makes it so much easier to purchase airline tickets that way. Um, but 
you know, I'm able to transfer money that way. And one of the benefits of doing it here in, in, in Korea via these online transfers is that typically when we transfer money between banks here in Korea, there's a, a slight wire fee associated with that. But that's eliminated with these online transfers. And then when we transfer internationally, we get the best possible transfer rate, the wire rate yeah. for exchange of funds. And it's probably saved me at least 30 or 40 percent each time I do it via electronic methods versus going into the bank itself and, and doing it. So um, it, it was a little bit of a learning curve because all these applications are 100 percent in Korean. There's there's no English option at all. <laughs> and my Korean is is, I would say, travel savvy, but but not bank ling lingo yeah. savvy. So I'm sitting here trying to my, I have my my application open. I have my translation plan program open. I'm okay. What do I need to push now? And and uh, there was one time when I wanted to transfer money back to the United States, but it had been so long since I did that on my on my uh, electronic means that I went into the bank and sat down at the computer with the staff and said, <laughs> "Okay, how do we do this?" <laughs> So now is it just a matter of remembering which steps and which buttons to press? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now it's just that. Yeah. Sometimes I forget. I'm like, oh, it's it's not supposed to look like this. I pushed the wrong button. I have to go back and find the right button now. Yeah. Oh, it would make it tricky. <laughs> you get used to it. You get used to it. The tricks. The tricks of uh, learning uh, various systems while you're abroad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds pretty good though. Like I, I hope that um, they start extending that to like other countries as well. Because I, I, I was very caught off guard when I first was introduced to the system, and I really didn't like it because it's like, damn it, I have a I have to have this USB with me all the time, and I have to do all these other things. But then when you really think about how easy it is to steal a password that anyone could use at that point. Because if someone had my password for my for uh, for the U.S. bank I used to use, once they're in the account, account, they can transfer the money here and there without ever asking for a second password. Yeah, and that's that's damn scary. Yeah. So, uh, well, some of our banks have um, electronically; they have a few a few different layers, which is nice, um, depending on what you're doing. I think, but. Um, yeah, I think that they all should be starting to go that way. Because I, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but the the fraud cases of credit cards and that is, I think it's a few billion a year worldwide. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So absolutely. any way that you, know, you can bring that figure down would be a good thing. Yes. Yeah, I've only had one instance of credit card fraud uh, in my life, yeah. and my bank was all over it. it. Was all over it. Yeah, they they they, spot, they spotted the fraudulent charge before I had even been notified. <laughs> yeah, they're getting really good at that. I've I've had a few friends that have said that. My bank called me once about um, uh, I think I was buying Formula One tickets. Um, for me and my friend, so yeah, wasn't the cheapest thing. And they called me because they thought 
it was a bit out of the ordinary. I'm like, oh no, that was actually me. It's fine. Well, I remember one. We're doing this interview on Skype, and I remember way back when I first set up some of my international calling for Skype. I just had it auto renew when it when the the dollar value dropped below two dollars. Yeah. So what would happen is it dropped below two dollars. It would charge my credit card. It hold up the transaction. My credit card company, hey, yes, we have a, a $10 charge for Skype. Yes, that's okay. That's me. And then I'd make some more phone calls that drop below $2. They had to put a hold up. Yes, that's me again. It's okay. Yes, it's to Skype. It's $10. And after about the third or fourth time, they finally, I said, if it's a $10 charge for Skype, it's okay. <laughs> and then you get like 20 in a row. Oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was almost comical because it was, it was literally overseas calls for, 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 tri- for trips. And the, 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 the Skype international rate was, was cheaper than I could get with my, my landline or my yeah. cell phone line. So I was just burning through the $10, you know, every two, three days or so. And it was, <laughs> it was just so funny. <laughs> well, at least they're calling, I suppose. It's better than... Than yes. just letting everything go through. True, 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 true. Mm. So, um, yeah, this other story that uh, I found, um, I thought was pretty amusing. So, <laughs> two Air India pilots um, got suspended from their pilot duties because they decided they were both tired, put the plane on autopilot, told the hostess to look after the plane, and then both went and had a nap. Um, yeah, but see, but, but, but come on, come on, Nathan. Don't you, don't you think that on these long haul trips, that's what's really happening anyway? Well, I, so You're my brother-in-law is a, <laughs> my brother-in-law is a pilot. So I kind of know what happens, um, a little bit. So. All right, spill the beans. Oh, so they, they do sleep. They do chuck it in autopilot. And um, so usually they'll have two or three people there. So the captain, the co-captain, and a navigator, um, usually. And so they'll just take shifts, usually. Put the plane on autopilot when they're going over oceans and stuff. And some guy will go to the nap room, which I think is usually just a box that they sleep standing in. Um, they just strap themselves in, um, have a nap, and then come back and then swap. So even though the captain's not doing anything or the co-captain's not doing anything in that time, they still have to be there just in case all of a sudden one of the engine blows up. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, I, I believe, I believe in the story. The only reason why they were woken up is, is, is because the, the flight attendant or, or the, the staff, hit some button and accidentally turned it off? Yep. So... Which which really leads to the question, what was this person doing? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, because if... I mean, even the picture, like, it's probably just a stock image of a cockpit, but there's about a thousand buttons in there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know why she just went, oh, I'll just press this one. Well, I mean, uh, it really brings up the point of what really does happen in, in a cockpit. Because I'm always, 
whenever I hear stories like this or, or whatever flight crews are doing behind that closed door, I'm often remember reminded of this Gary Lawson, uh, the far side uh, cartoon <laughs> where you, you, you have, it was a two pan, I think it was a two panel cartoon where the, the, the top frame is of an airplane and the, the speech bubble is, this is your captain speaking. We're approaching some turbulence and the, the the second frame is the pilot and the co-pilot just janking back on, on the on the yoke to, to create it to, to have a good go at the passengers. Yeah. yeah, I reckon. Yeah, if I was a pilot, I would do something like that. So maybe that's not why I'm a pilot. <laughs> I, I, I'd be sure not to fly your airline. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there eventually, I guess. <laughs> Well, it's funny. Okay, so I, I, have a, I, have a, I have a friend here in, in Korea, and he posted uh, a travel a travel uh, uh, map of, of his flight. He just went back to Dubai. And rather than flying over China, which would have been a very direct route, they, they circumvented uh, the entire nation and went down over Hong Kong and through, through uh, Thailand to get to Dubai instead of flying directly over. It added like... A, almost three hours to the flight. It was crazy. So was and it, in those situations, I, I, I want to know, well, what really happened? You know, why, why was the decision to go so far off the planned trajectory yeah. to, to get to the destination? Yeah, that, that's a really weird one because usually they'll, they'll go sort of around a place if there's a big storm, but to skip a whole country... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't even fly over, over according to the map. And of course, there's no weather data, so there, you know there could have been a, a bad storm someplace along the route. But, but it just, just you, you, my my mind looks at the map and say, like, it's almost like a right triangle, and they 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 should have flown the hypotenuse right from point A to point B. <laughs> or maybe um, you know one of the pilots was dyslexic and or you know switched his numbers around, so instead of going. 81 degrees, he went 18. Just totally off course. Way off course. <laughs> Way off course. But yeah, that was a very interesting story. And, and I, I, think I, well, I think that the big question is, is, is why did both pilots in this instance decide to take a nap at the same time? And then what the hell was, was the, <laughs> the flight staff doing pushing buttons? Yeah. You know. I mean, I understand there's a big flat, big red flashing button that's very tempting to push, but, but my, my God, man, don't don't be touching that. <laughs> don't tempt fate. What are you doing? <laughs> Reminds me of an old Ren and Stimpy cartoon with the big red flashing button. It's like, <laughs> I must push the button. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, I'm just reading the story now. They'll go on for like forty minutes. As well, that's, that's 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 a long time. Yeah, you couldn't do two twenty-minute naps. Come on now. Yeah. Well, have you ever flown Bangkok to New Delhi? Because that was the flight. So no, I don't... no, actually, no. I and and Joe Joe's been my wife. Joe's been to Thailand at least at least once, but I think twice. Um, and she actually went there right before the two thousand four tsunami. Uh, I have yet to visit Thailand. We're planning maybe on going for next winter's vacation. Yeah. So uh, break break our travel routine just a little bit. But 
Uh, I, I do want to do there. I definitely want to go to India. That sounds like a, a great place to travel and visit as well. So uh, make, make, make our way down there eventually. Yeah. Well, because I don't, like, I can't tell because I've never traveled there and I don't know how long it would take. But to me, that only seems like a four or five hour flight anyway. Doesn't say yeah, more. You shouldn't. You, sh- you shouldn't need it unless it was one of the. Well, does it have the flight time information? Was it like a, a red eye flight? And uh, it doesn't say. Uh, <laughs> no, because I, I, I could I could I could maybe see. Hey, I, I, you know, it's eleven p.m. departure from, and and then you're 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 knackered and two hours into the flight. Okay, I got I got to take a nap and gee, I think I'll take a nap too. <laughs> Would you like to spoon? <laughs> well, especially if those, you know, tiny upwards standing beds are true. That would be super cozy. <laughs> yes. See, I, I wouldn't find that comfortable at all. I would just rather just, all right, put on autopilot, you know, hit hit the button on the on the side of the chair, recline just a little bit and be good yeah. to go. Although pilot chairs don't recline, but I, I, I have to imagine that It'd be far more enjoyable than standing in a box for half hour. Yeah, it's true. Maybe they changed it. If anyone knows how you sleep in a plane, <laughs> let us know. Sleeping in a plane at weswonders.com. <laughs> yeah. Be great. I'd, I'd like to know. Maybe I'll, um, I'll ask my brother-in-law. That's probably going to be the quickest way. I would I would imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and I found it... So when I was looking up this or reading this Air India um, story, I found another one because they're in trouble again um, because apparently they, they... They received notice for sacking an overweight um, air hostess. Or they, they didn't re... Um, Redo her contract, I think, was what it was. So, so I don't know what they're doing. I I don't think I'll I would ever fly with them. No, no, no. I don't think I would either, unless I was absolutely in a pinch. But it's really interesting to understand what what the labor laws are around that, because I could have sworn that you know at least back in the day you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago in the United States, hmm. there were height and weight requirements for flight attendant staff of U.S. airlines. And I could be totally misrepresenting that, but yeah. I, I seem to recall, at least maybe not U.S. airlines, but I, I seem to recall something along those lines. And maybe it was even back further, dating back to the 60s or so. Yeah. But uh, I, I certainly remember that you couldn't be a certain height and over a certain weight and whatnot. I'd be terrible at it then. <laughs> oh, sh- I have a hard enough time walking through the, the cabin as it is now. Yeah. Well, I'm short, so I can't reach the... Uh, well, I can actually reach the overhead compartments, but still. Well, how tall are you, Nathan? Um, I am about 5'6". All right. Yeah. So I've got short arms too. So I can reach it. But, um, yeah, it's... it's not the easiest stretch, I guess. Especially if something's down the back. If something slipped down the back of the head, uh, overhead compartment, I have to stand on the seat to get it. Yeah. 
Uh, don't feel bad. I, I do that sometimes. I, we flew. We flew one airline. What was it? I think it was. I think it was Philippine Airlines, and it was one of the deepest compartments I've ever seen before. And, and even I had a hard time trying to get to the actual back of it to to get this little trinket for for one of the other passengers. I was like, come on now. It's like you're lucky I'm here because there's no way in hell you'd be able to get this. Yeah. Because how how tall are you? I'm 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 six four. Yeah. So it was it was it was a it was at, at the really end back, of man. my arm reach at the back. I'm like, what what the hell? I almost had to get my uh, I was I was traveling with my with my quick pod, and I almost had to take that out and. And use it as a little branch to, to scoop it towards me. <laughs> That's really bad. So yeah, there's pros and cons of uh, that on a plane. See, I've got plenty of leg room when I catch a flight because I'm so short. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you evil man. Yes. I, I, I've been on numerous flights where, where just sitting in the normal position, my knees are just wedged into the seat in front of me. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, my mate, um, that I was talking to on the last podcast that, uh, went to Southeast Asia with me, he's 6'4 as well. So, yeah, it's great when you lose him in a crowd and, yeah, over there, because oh, yeah. you can just see him. <laughs> well, I get that all the time. Yeah. I can always find Steve. <laughs> they must love it. <laughs> It's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking out, where, where is everybody? I don't see anybody. Oh, we know where you are, Steve. In fact, one of my good friends here in, in Seoul, Kenu Sun from TalkToMeInKorean.com, he, um, the first time we met, you know, we're on the phone. I'm like, where are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm here where we're supposed to be. He goes, all right, I'll be there. And I say, oh, I see you. I'll, I'll be there in two minutes. <laughs> two minutes? Jeez. Well, he was he was on the other side of the street. He could pick me out on the other side of the street because <laughs> he's average. You know, he's a little bit taller than average height, but I'm I'm big big white guy standing yeah. in the middle of streets of Seoul, streets of Gangnam. You're almost like a foot taller than everyone, aren't you? No, I mean there are a lot of uh, there's a very I guess misplaced stereotype here in in, in Korea is is a lot of people. Envision individuals being very small, and I've met Koreans that are taller than me. Um, I, I I was really surprised at I would say the average height is on par with the United States of being around five eight five nine, hmm. um, if if not slightly taller. I mean, most of my students are are I would say in the five ten range as well. Huh. And I work with college students, so that's why they're so tall. Yeah. And you still stick out. <laughs> and I still stick out. And the women are just as tall, but they're wearing, you know, four or five inch heels. <laughs> yeah. Cheetahs. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that's that's one of the things that my wife and I are just marvel at in the wintertime, because even in the winter, they're wearing heels, and the, the streets get really icy and everything, and I would be terrified. They they have they have some guts because I I would not want to be doing that. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw um, a video on YouTube of um, I don't know if it was uh, there, but yeah, someone wearing massive heels and trying to walk on ice, and 
she was slipping like every three steps. It's like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I did the, the, the I've I'm I'm not one for 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 paying attention to shoe styles, but I have never seen as many shoes as I have seen here in Korea. Different types of shoes. You go into the underground shopping centers, and you'll have a whole area just devoted to shoes of every range of color and style from flats to super platforms and heels. Wow. So if anyone out there is a shoe enthusiast, head to South Korea. Come, come, come to Korea. Dirt cheap and lots of them. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, anyway, I, I suppose we'll wrap up the podcast for today. Um, Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, sir. Oh, thanks for, for coming on. I know how busy you are. Oh, it was a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. That's good. Um, so if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Uh, if you want to find me online, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just look for Chi Ranger. That's Q-I Ranger. And, of course, over on YouTube as well. But to find everything in one clean location, you can find me at ChiRanger.com. And you'll find all my latest travel videos, my news videos, as well as links to my podcasts and other news from the region there. Excellent. And I will check up links in the show notes for those as well. If you can't remember any of them, everyone. <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on the show, Steve. It's been great. Hey, it's my pleasure, sir. Excellent. So that was my chat with Steve Miller, a.k.a. the Chi Ranger. Um, thanks again for being on the show today, Steve. Um, if you'd like to look at any of the show notes or view any of the, um, the stories that we were talking about today... Uh, you can go to podcast.weswanders.com forward slash nine for episode nine, um, and that will give you all the show notes. Um, and on those show notes uh, is links to Steve's website and his YouTube and Twitter. Um, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Wes7, W-E-Z, and the number seven. Um, if you'd like to send me an email or ask any questions on the podcast for next time, the email is podcast at weswanders.com. Um, I'd like to thank you all for listening to today's episode. And if you'd like to subscribe on iTunes, that would be great. And also, if you could give us a rating, that would be fantastic. So until next episode, happy traveling. <laughs>